Welcome to a new episode of my IB Notes podcast. Today we are looking at section four of the psychology syllabus, the biological approach to understanding behavior. Correlation studies. Correlation studies measure the relationship between two variables that are themselves not manipulated. They focus on finding a relationship between a behavior and inherited traits. Case studies. These are in-depth and detailed studies of an individual or a group in order to obtain a deep understanding of behavior. Experiments. Measure the effect of the independent variable on a dependent variable. In a true experiment, which aims to determine a cause and effect relationship between the IV and the DV, the IV is manipulated and the DV is measured to find a cause-effect relationship. Quasi-experiments are where participants are allocated by groups to groups by pre-characteristics such as gender or ethnicity. There is sometimes a manipulated IV and control of other variables. The relationship found is correlational. Ethics and research methods. In human research, guidelines must be met. The participants must be given informed consent. They may not be deceived or any necessary deception must be minimal and revealed at the debrief. Confidentiality must be maintained and participants must be debriefed after the study and are allowed to withdraw at any time and should not be harmed physically or emotionally. MRI scans. These produce a 3D static image of the brain. They use a magnetic field and radio pulses to produce pictures of structures inside the body. They can find tumors, internal bleeding, blood diseases and infections or abnormalities in dementia patients. They're highly useful to neuropsychologists studying brain-damaged individuals because they're more detailed and in 3D format, hence localization of damage is more precise. One limitation is that people with heart pacemakers, metal pacemakers, or screws in their body may not be scanned. Thus, there may be a loss of potential participants in MRI scans. Although this is not a large-scale problem, it could be problematic if a patient with a unique psychological deficit cannot be recorded. McGuire et al. 2000 aimed to find a correlation between localization of function and regions of the brain. They used MRI scans to compare the brains of 50 London taxi drivers who have to remember a map of the streets of London in order to get their license. There's also a control group who are not taxi drivers. All were males um, and all the taxi drivers have been driving for at least 18 months and they were all right-handed. The results showed a difference in the size of various parts of the hippocampus. The posterior hippocampus on the right side was larger for the taxi drivers, whereas the anterior was larger for the control group. The volume of the hippocampus correlated with how long participants had been a taxi driver. This evidence supports the theory that the posterior hippocampus in each side of the brain stores spatial imaging. It also responds to an individual's needs in the environment. fMRI scans. These are non-static brain imagery that use magnetic response resonance imaging to measure small metabolic changes in active parts of the brain. When neurons are active in a region, more blood is sent to that part of the brain. This can generate a 3D image to show which parts of the brain are active during a wide range of tasks. They can also be used to assess effects of stroke, trauma, or a degenerative disease on brain function. Antonova et al. 2011. They aim to see a role in the neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, ACH, um, and how it acts in the brain to aid spatial memory. This action could be reduced by the chemical scopolamine. They tested 20 men in a virtual reality maze. Everyone was randomly allocated to be injected with scopolamine or saline, which was the placebo or the control group. 
Um, their brains were scanned using an fMRI machine while they found their way around the maze. ACH acts mainly in the hippocampus, which is related specifically to spatial memory. Participants returned to three to four weeks later and were injected with the opposite solution and scanned again. Neither the participants nor the researchers knew who was being injected with what. This is called a randomized double-blind experiment. The results showed that scopolamine reduced activity in the hippocampus and participants who received it, and they made more errors than the placebo group. PET scans. These are a type of nuclear medicine imaging, a brand of imaging that uses small amounts of radioactive material to diagnose and determine the severity of a variety of different brain diseases, including cancers. A radioactive substance is injected into the patient and produces measurable gamma rays. The scan detects these rays and computes them to help doctors evaluate brain functioning. Because PET scans can pinpoint activity, they offer a potential to identify a disease in its earliest stages. Localization of function refers to the theory that the mechanisms for thought, behavior, and emotions are located in different areas of the brain. French neurologist Paul Broca located the ability for speech production in the left frontal lobe, a region that came to be known as Broca's area. Although adopting a localization approach has advanced scientific knowledge about the brain, the complexity of cognitive processes in terms of how they interact and influence each other cannot be ignored, so more holistic accounts of brain function should be used in conjunction with the localization approach. Other researchers argue that localization implies that specific brain areas are specialized so that other brain areas cannot take over their functions. Research into the brain's adaptive and flexible capabilities has challenged this static view. Neural networks. Complex neural networks can be modified in a process called neuroplasticity. Neural pruning. Not all neural changes will be needed as a child gets older, so neural pruning is needed to reduce the number of neural pathways. For example, when we learn a new skill, such as playing the piano, our neural networks grow and become denser in certain regions. This is called neurogenesis. If we stop playing the piano, um, the neural pruning takes place and we lose the aforementioned neurogenesis. Dragonsky et al. 2006 conducted a field experiment to determine whether, after learning a new motor skill, there would be structural and functional changes in the brain. The researchers used MRI scans to determine if changes occurred in the brains of people learning to juggle. There was the juggling and non-juggling control group. They had Everybody had their brain scanned three times, once before learning to juggle, once after three months of juggling, and then once after three months of not juggling. There was no difference between the two groups at the beginning, but in the second scan, the size of the two areas of the brain of two areas of the brain had increased in size in the juggling group. This difference became smaller after three months of no juggling. The conclusion was that the action of juggling strengthened neural connections in parts of the brain responsible for this activity. But the differences were temporary and relied on continuing the activity or else neural pruning took place. Neurotransmission. This is what neurotransmitters do. They communicate between neurons. Neurons carry information as electrical impulses, but communicate with each other by the chemical process, by another chemical process involving neurotransmitters. Excitatory and inhibitory synapses. Every neuron has receptors designated for each neurotransmitter that works like a lock and key mechanism. When a neurotransmitter combines with a molecule at the receptor site, it causes a voltage change at the receptor site called the a postsynaptic potential, PSP.
One type of PSP is excitatory and increases the probability of producing an action potential in the receiving neuron. The other type is inhibitory and decreases the probability of producing an action potential. Agonists and antagonists. All neurotransmitters produced inside the body bind to a synaptic receptor neuron to bind to a synaptic receptor neuron to generate either an excitatory or inhibitory postsynaptic potential PSP. Chemical agonists are substances that bind to synaptic receptors and increase the effect of the neurotransmitter. Antagonists are chemical substances that bind to synaptic receptors but decrease the effect of the neurotransmitter. Chapter 4, Section 4. Hormones are chemical messengers that are secreted by glands. The difference between a hormone and a neurotransmitter is that hormones are produced by endocrine glands and neurotransmitters are produced within neurons when triggered by an electrical impulse. Some chemical messengers can act as neurotransmitters and hormones. Adrenaline is an example as it is secreted by an, as a hormone by the adrenal medulla, but it is also used by adrenal-specific neurons in the brain. Testosterone is primarily sec secreted by the gonads and the adrenal glands. It plays a role in developing male reproductive tissue and promotes secondary sexual characteristics such as increased muscle and bone mass. On average, adult an adult male produces 10 times more testosterone than the average human female. Carr et al. 2016 aimed to see if aspects of personality would affect aggressive responses in a game. 121 healthy male participants were randomly allocated to two groups. One group received a placebo and the other group received an injection of testosterone. It was a double-blind experiment as neither the researchers nor the participants knew who was in either group. All participants underwent a decision-making game to assess aggression after social provocation within the game by a partner. Measures of aggression, dominance, and impulsivity were measured using questionnaires. Researchers found that increasing testosterone alone was not enough to provoke aggression. Only people who received additional testosterone had scored high in dominance and low in impulse control exhibited higher aggression than the control group. Nave et al. 2017. They investigated the effect of testosterone on cognitive reflection in males. As testosterone interacts with already low impulse control and high dominance to produce aggression, it may reduce cognitive reflection. 243 healthy males gave a baseline saliva sample to measure their baseline testosterone levels. They then received either testosterone or a placebo and went away for a few hours to let the testosterone stabilize, then returned to give another sample to check testosterone levels. They then took the cognitive reflection test, CRT, to test whether their ability to override impulse judgments with deliberate responses. The results showed that participants who received testosterone had significantly lower scores than the CRT on the CRT than the control group. The results demonstrated a clear effect of testosterone on cognition and decision-making in males. Pheromones. These act outside of the body at a species level. Insects and mammals possess pheromones, and there is some evidence that they play a role in human behavior. But no conclusive evidence has been found. The field of which this field of evolutionary psychology is fairly new, although this field raises a number of practical problems in assessing how far evolutionary processes affect human behavior, it also raises many interesting questions regarding how we act. One behavior that is argued to be adaptive is the choice of a suitable mate. 
It's important we choose a mate whose genes are sufficiently different from our own to avoid problems from inbreeding. Some researchers argue that one way in which we can identify a person is genetically different from ourselves is through pheromones. Despite not having a smell, pheromones can be detected by the vomeronasal organ, which lies at the base of the navel cavity. MHC, Major Histocompatibility Complex, is a group of genes that, while not possibly pheromones, can be smelt in sweat. If attraction to those with a different MHC than our own is followed by mating, that is a big if, this maximizes the immune response in offspring, making them stronger. Wedekind et al., 1995, aimed to investigate whether females prefer male odors with different MHC from their own. This may show an influence of pheromones on human adults. 44 male university students were asked to wear the same shirt for two consecutive nights. The shirt was kept in a plastic bag between wears. The mean age of participants was 25, and they were asked to refrain from odor-creating activities, such as wearing perfume or smoking. All female and male participants were classified by their immune systems via specialized blood tests. 49 female students were then asked to rate the six t-shirts by pleasantness and odor intensity. Three of the shirts had been worn by males with similar MHC, and three had been worn by males with different MHC. Each shirt was placed in a cardboard box, and females smelt the shirts through a triangular cutout. The researchers saw that women whose MHC was different from the males' MHC found his body odor more pleasant than males with similar major histocompatibility complex. This was the opposite finding of women taking an oral contraceptive pill, as they preferred men with similar major histocompatibility complex. This, received, this raised the possibility that birth control may interfere with natural mate choice based on major histocompatibility complex dissimilarity. Suderman et al. 2014 demonstrated that 12 adults who suffered from childhood abuse were more likely to show methylation in their DNA compared to a control group of 28 who had no such childhood abuse. The participants were 45-year-old males and their blood DNA was analyzed. The study showed an increase in the gene PM20D1 in the sample that suffered abuse. This gene is responsible for the metabolism of amino acids and is associated with control over eating habits. Those um, with childhood abuse also had more long-term health effects, such as adult obesity. This shows how an environmental trigger can contribute to the switching off a gene which contributes to someone's eating habits. Evidence from this study shows a correlation between the methylation of gene PM20D1, childhood abuse, and adult eating habits. This suggests the interaction between genes and environmental influences can predispose a person to behave a certain way. Weaver et al. 2004 investigated stress responses in rat pups who had received vigorous grooming from their mothers in the first 10 days after birth compared to the rats who did not re receive much attention from their mothers. The stress response was measured by placing each rat into a small tube for 20 minutes and measuring their reaction to the confined situation. The stress hormone corticosterone was measured in each rat. They found the rats who had attention from their mothers had lower corticosterone than rats who did not. To test the possibility that the calm and anxiousness was inherited from their mothers, each pup switched mothers. Um, so the calm pups to the anxious mothers, anxious mothers to calm, anxious pups to calm mothers, etc. It was found that reactivity to stress depended on an adoptive mother behavior and not a biological mother behavior. This is an example of epigenetics and is explained by gene expression. 
Researchers showed that the glutocorticoid receptor gene in the brain are methylated when mothers neglect their pups. We can conclude that although genetics are the main factor for explaining behavior, environmental factors play a key role in the expression of genes. Curtis A. All, 2004, aimed to investigate if disgust is an evolutionary mechanism through a study spanning worldwide. Around 40,000 participants engaged in an online survey where they rated 20 photographs on a scale of life 1 to 5 of disgust. The results indicated that pictures representing objects of disease were rated as more disgusting than seemingly non-diseased photos. A final question asked participants whom they would least like to share a toothbrush with. The least accessible, acceptable person was the postman, followed by a boss at work, then the weatherman. Sharing a person's bodily fluid becomes more disgusting when the person is less familiar because there is viewed to be more of a disease threat from a stranger. Curtis A. All suggested these results were evidence that disgust is an evolutionary mechanism for detecting disease, thus it plays a role in survival. Bus A. All, 1992, investigated differences between men and women in terms of psychological selection. They asked a sample of 202 undergraduate students to vividly imagine scenarios involving sexual or emotional infidelity by their partner. Their distress was assessed by various indices of emotional and physiological arousal. The results showed that, that sexual infidelity generated the most distress in males, whereas emotional infidelity elicited the most distress in females. This difference corresponds with what evolutionary psychology would predict. Bus A. All concluded that men are concerned with their sperm, that their sperm will get replaced by another man's, thus reducing chances that their genes are passed on. This is paternity uncertainty. They can't be sure that the baby is theirs if the female isn't faithful. A woman is concerned of her male part if her male partner becomes emotionally entangled with another female because this increases the likelihood that he will redistribute his resources and her and the baby may suffer. The study illustrates differences between males and females in terms of sexual selection in line with what would be predicted in the evolutionary theory. McGew A.L. 2000 investigated the genetic and environmental influences on adolescent addiction to tobacco and marijuana. They interviewed 626 pairs of male and female twins about their history of legal tobacco and illegal marijuana drug use, details about their home life, and completed a questionnaire as well. The researchers found a slight 10 to 25 percent heritability for marijuana use with no significant differences between males and females, but tobacco had a heritability rate of 40 to 60 percent. The importance of shared environment was also a prominent finding. Participants reported taking these drugs was a regular part of life, with reports of family members openly taking drugs and being a normal part of the home environment. They concluded that environmental um, environment appeared to be more influenced in determining, determining drug use than genetics. The limitations of twin studies. Investigators mistakenly compare reared apart twins with raised together twins when they both share important similarities, such as age, similar appearance, and prenatal environment. Thus, they are bound to have similarities in their behavior as well. Kendler et al. 2006 conducted a Swedish twin study with 15,493 pairs of twins. The researchers used phone interviews over a course of four years to diagnose major depressive disorder, MDD. Researchers found that a concordance rate for MDD across all twins was 38%. They also found no correlation between the number of years the twins had lived together and lifetime major depression.
suggesting that this was a true heritability rate. The rate among female monozygotic twins was 44%, and in males it was 31%, compared with 11% in female and male digizotic twins, respectively. If the disorder was purely genetic, we might expect that the monozygotic concordance rate to be higher, but the difference between monozygotic and dizygotic is enough to indicate a strong genetic component. Um, for reference, monozygotic means identical and dizygotic means non-identical. Family-based studies. These are used as genes cannot ethically be manipulated in humans to see their effect on behavior. These studies measure the extent to which pairs of individuals share a behavior. A concordance rate of 0 means there is no correlation, whereas a concordance rate of 1.0 is a perfect correlation. This is unachievable. Concordance rates of 0.7 are considered high. Family studies. These investigate genetic heritability of a behavior by looking at incidents of solid of said behavior over generations and controlling for other variables such as the environment. Mammals such as rats, mice, and non-human primates are also useful in psychology because humans are also mammals, so our anatomy and physiology are comparable to these animals. In clinical psychology, animal research plays a major role in developing treatments such as medication for mental illnesses. When testing said drugs on humans is not ethical. Albert A. All, 1996, investigated the effect of testosterone on aggression in male rats. They placed the rats in cages and identified the alpha males based on their size and strength. They measured their aggression levels when a non-aggressive rat was placed in the same cage by measuring aggressive behavior displayed by the alpha male. They then divided the alpha male rats to undergo four separate surgeries. The first one is castration. Um, the second one is castration and then the implementation of empty tubes. The third one is castration, followed by the implementation of tubes of testosterone, and lastly, a fake castration followed by the implanting of empty tubes. They then measured the change in aggression when non-aggressive rats were reintroduced to the cage. Those that had the operation um, that removed slash reduced testosterone levels had so saw, a increase, saw a decrease in aggressiveness. Those that kept their testosterone levels did not have a significant change in aggressive levels. The rats in the second group that had their testosterone replaced showed returned levels of re aggressiveness. Researchers observed that when a non-aggressive male is placed in the same cage as a castrated alpha, he becomes the dominated rat in the cage. When the rat with the pretend castration enters the cage, he becomes the dominant one. This suggests testosterone may facilitate behavior associated with social dominance in rats. By experimenting on rats, Albert A. All were able to conclude that low levels of testosterone affect aggression and dominance. Ethical considerations. It goes against most people's morals, as some believe it is wrong to view animals as less than humans and put them in cages and experiment on them. But it can also be argued that evidence of self-awareness in animals should be a consideration against them using in psychological studies. To counter ethical issues arising, ethical guidelines have been developed to ensure researchers adhere to minimizing animal suffering. Bateson, 1986, proposed a decision-making tool for research called Bateson's Q. When researchers propose a new topic with animals, Bateson outlined three factors as being very important in the decision-making process. The degree of suffering by an animal, the quality of proposed study, and the medical benefits of the study. Ethical considerations should also consider whether animals could be used in natural circumstances as well as or instead of in experiments.
Observations of primates and their natural habitats may yield richer data than those studies in labs done artificially. That is all. Thank you for listening.